Welcome back to this third curriculum podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name's Dr. Oliver Pratt. I'm a consultant anaesthetist in Salford and a training program director in the Northwest School of Anaesthesia. You'll recall in the first part of this podcast, we were talking about the assessment strategy. And we're going to continue those discussions now, again, joined by Dr. Joe Budd and Dr. Gethin Pugh. We, we touched earlier in, I'm just, we mentioned generic professional capabilities, which are obviously a new uh, and, and significant part of our curriculum. Um, the, the, perhaps the, the, the traditional uh, workplace-based assessments, or SLEs as we're going to call them now, they don't really lend themselves so easily to assessment of the generic professional capabilities. So how do trainers or education supervisors go around assessment of learning in the sort of generic professional domains? Well, it's it's interesting because um, that is happening now in the current curriculum. So, you know, the, the, the evidence is linked to the non-clinical section and those non-clinical sections have cut forms, as do domains one to six in advanced training which is all about generic professional capabilities, they have cut forms. So, so there is already a degree of, of, of trainers being able to look at the evidence that supports those domains um, <clears throat> and assessing it as to whether it's good enough. Um, but, you know, the evidence for generic professional capabilities can be very broad. So SLEs, um, demonstrate a number of things and can demonstrate good teamwork, professionalism, um, uh, uh, safety measures in theatre, it can demonstrate a lot. So, so we would encourage the use of SLEs to demonstrate to, to, as part of the evidence for GPCs. But also, as Gethin said earlier, uh, we also want trainees to think about personal activities and personal reflections. And I would include, say, you know, qu quite often you, you might um, read an article to cover something that's described in the generic professional capabilities, say, I don't know, that's perhaps a mental capacity act, for an example, off the top of my head. But you might read about that. And so you could you could you could capture that evidence by just writing a reflective piece saying, right, you know, read read this article and, you know, this is what I've learned from it. Um, and that that could form part of the evidence for generic professional capabilities. Um, and in addition to that, we've we've got the MSF that we know and love, um, that, that, that will stay exactly the same and won't change. And that says a lot about team working and professionalism. Um, we've got uh, the new AQI PAT. I'm sure Gethin will tell you more about that, um, which, which will, looks at quality improvement projects. And we've got the uh, multiple trainer report, the MTR, um, and that replaces what um, people might have as consultant feedback at the moment. Um, and it's a report by trainers uh, across the whole, all the domains, in generic professional capability domains and the clinical domains. Um, and it's reporting on the progress of the trainee in those domains. Gethin, do you want to tell us a bit more about why? Why not? Um, yeah, so I, I, I would agree with with um, all those points. And I think what we what you can see, and, and this is reflected in the assessment guide, is that when we've mapped 
the 14 domains of the new curriculum. So the seven generic professional capability domains and then the seven clinical domains against um, all of the different tools, both formative and summative that we have in the programme of assessment against each other. What you can see in that and um, within that um, table is that you can use lots of these tools of assessment to sample the curriculum in different ways. So sometimes that's using tools which are traditionally used in the clinical setting like SLEs, but also to reflect areas around professionalism, um, team working. Um, but also on the in, on the other side of this, it is around using some of the newer tools and particularly around quality improvement projects and um, particularly the QIPAT tool um, to allow us to reflect not just the attainment within that domain, but again, um, what that means outside. And what the quality improvement tool is designed specifically for is for the assessment of the domain for quality improvement. But again, there will be skills within that area of practice, which will also illustrate teamworking, how people might use data, how they work with others. And perhaps, particularly at the later stages where they might be completing a quality improvement project which re reflects a particular special interest area might also be aligned to some of the clinical areas as well. So the quality improvement tool itself, um, like the other um, supervised learning events, is, is very much a formative to tool and the emphasis is on feedback um, to improve performance. But here what we're talking about is performance in quality improvement skills and the application of those principles. The important thing I think for people to take away when they see this is that it can look sort of like a quite a, a sort of large tool, but that's because it's designed to be adaptable across all three stages of the new curriculum. And so whilst it can be used to assess a whole quality improvement project, and that's why it's structured in the way it is, equally at an early stage in the curriculum, specifically stage one, you can use the same tool to assess a component of a quality improvement project as well. And that might be uh, certain analysis to understand your system. That might be how you use data or how you represent it. But again, as with the other SLEs, the focus is on then the feedback from the trainer as to what the learner can then use from that experience to go on to develop then to, to lead a project um, as part of stage two and stage three. So the feeling I'm, I'm getting from listening to you guys is that across all these domains, I suppose, particularly the, the GPCs, but, but the clinical domains as well, the, the SLEs of all descriptions are one source of evidence to illustrate engagement with learning, I guess. And they shouldn't be seen as the only source of evidence and that all these other things we're talking about, like Joe, you mentioned the reflective piece or you know, evidence of going on a course or, or whatever, it, whatever else it is, these are all things which in many ways are going to carry equal weight to structured learning events. So the structured learning events are not the be all and end all, and they are just one source of evidence towards that illustration of, of the engagement with learning. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Ollie. I mean, I think for clinical um, clinical domains, I think, you know, inevitably the SLEs will form a greater part of the evidence. Um, but, you know, for the GPCs, it'd be a broad range of evidence. Okay. So there's, there's one last area that we haven't touched on yet, and perhaps we can, we can finish just by talking about the halo forms. So the halo, to me, looks like it replaces the old cup form, and it's signed off at the end of a, of a stage of training for each of the 
domains. So in some cases, let's take the general anesthesia uh, do domain of learning as an example, then that's going to be a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? Now, I just wonder if you can perhaps touch on that sort of, you know, halo forms in general, who should fill them in? When should they be filled in? How do we go about, is it one person taking all the responsibility for saying this person can do general anesthesia? Those are the sorts of things that I think trainers will be wondering about. I wonder if you could perhaps address some of those. They are big, you know, they, they, are, the, they are the bulk of the, um, you know, they, they, they represent the bulk of the training, don't they? You know, and, and, how, and how we evidence how a trainee has progressed and through the stages and how we ev evidence that they've completed a stage. Um, they are of different weights. So you're you're right to point out general anaesthesia. General anaesthesia is is the probably the largest together with perioperative medicine, and those two form the biggest ones. Um, the if I talk about those in a bit, but talk about the other ones first. So uh, the the other clinical domains such as intensive care, resuscitation, and training, you might uh, transfer rather. You might. Um, you know, you'd, you'd probably expect that to be completed when you've completed your um, intensive care training. And in, I would expect that as now that the faculty tutor for intensive care would complete that, um, the intensive care one, and po probably together at the same time, the resuscitation and transfer, because they've got very similar um, <clears throat> similar emphasis and, and uh, um, links between the capabilities. Um, sedation is is a relatively small domain. Uh, we have um, grouped all the capabilities together into one cluster that it'll just need, um, uh, you know, looking at one one lot of evidence for it. So I don't expect sedation to be a big thing, and and I wouldn't, you know, that that could probably be completed sometime during the stage of training. Um, and then we've got, say, regional anaesthesia. Well, um, that is very much focused on regional anaesthesia, as you'd expect. Uh, and you, you will have your regional uh, trainers who will be used to perhaps completing the cut form for regional who might be looking at that. Likewise, pain. So <clears throat> those are the, small, the smaller ones. When it comes to general anaesthesia, we'll probably be very much more focusing on the use of the assessment faculty within a department. And this is a group of trainers who are looking across the breadth of training for a trainee. And general anaesthesia will contain a lot of different things. It will contain what you, you, you know, currently think of as the units of training like, you know, ENT or um, orthopedics or pediatrics and obstetrics. Um, <clears throat> But it, but they're all tied up into the capabilities, and we've clustered those capabilities together where they've got a great degree of commonality. Um, so, for example, the airway capabilities are clustered together, the paediatric ones, the obstetric ones are clustered together, um, and we we developed. Um, Guide so the, within the assessment guideline, uh, the within the assessment guidance are appendices, and one for each stage of training, in which the domains are broken down into their clusters, and for each cluster there's examples of evidence, and we would expect that trainees to sort of link evidence to that, and for the assessment faculty, 
to look through that evidence for those larger domains. So is that those guides you're talking about, Joe? That's the HALO guides? Correct, yes. But it, it forms part of the, it's all on the college website and it forms part of the assessment guidance. It's an appendix of the assessment guidance. I, I have to say when I've been, you know, even though I've been involved in all this curriculum development, I find those HALO guides very useful little documents to just refresh my thinking. Then the nice little summary documents I think that people will find very useful, both trainees and trainers. Well, good. That's what they were designed for, and they were they were designed for um, to be really practical, uh, practical guide uh, books for schools of anaesthesia. And we we would expect schools of anaesthesia perhaps to even adapt them to local local circumstances, the local experience. Um, you know, they may have a particular course that might sign off a, a certain GPC, for example, and we'd expect them to edit the examples of evidence to fit in with local arrangements. And I, I suspect that even, you know, going just taking a step back from what you said about the assessment faculty, it may be that even, you know, smaller than schools of anesthesia, it might be that individual departments need to make their own arrangements to work yeah. out who's the appropriate people to be yeah. signed off the larger halos, right? Then. So, yeah. yeah. Anything you want to add about the halos? Um, I, yeah, I think what I think talking through it, well, this sort of illustrates is how and this is perhaps where the halo guides are so useful is that they illustrate these points um, so well. So when we're talking about particularly the clinical domains, what we're talking about is capability clusters. So areas of the curriculum that have high levels of commonality. And the reason that's so important is that when they're being evidenced um, uh, within the um, LLP is actually you can use um, that evidence to associate with a single cluster. So if there's already commonality, be it around airway, be it around general anesthesia, obstetrics, or so on, is that that then individual um, learning event can be used to associate with a cluster. Um, I think what the guides also illustrate quite well is that when we're thinking of seven clinical domains, they're not one seventh of the clinical components of the curriculum. What we have um, as, as Joe has described, is sort of two major domains, which is operative medicine and general anaesthesia, um, which is the biggest footprint across the whole curriculum, and then five more well-circumscribed um, succinct domains. Where and that's that's very evident in the halo guides because what you see is in in those five uh, more uh, succinct domains, you see less capability clusters, and actually um, some of them are, are just one. So actually when I think when people first look at the curriculum and certainly lots of the early questions we had was around well are we going to be signing off all of the halos right at the very end of a stage well I think that's probably true of general anesthesia or operative medicine because they are big and they do represent those diverse areas of practice around airway general anesthesia use of TIVA and so on whereas for the for the others the, the other five sort of procedural sedation resuscitation and transfer it's likely that some of those halos are going to be completed um, as people move through the stage and not necessarily um, once they get to the end. I suppose the only other element I would mention here, um, just because we are a bit sort of light on an acronyms, because we've only really touched on SLE, um, AQI, PAT, uh, MSF and HALO, is we may as well just throw another one in there, which is the triple C. Um, so um, triple C uh, sits sort of alongside the halo, but it it, it is there to um, support the completion of, of the halo, specifically within the general anaesthesia 
and perioperative medicine domains. And what triple C's um, allow individuals to evidence is those discrete areas of practice. So obstetrics, pediatrics, um, neuroanesthesia and cardiothoracic. So, and thinking about, as we've talked throughout the podcast about how the 2021 curriculum is an evolution of, of, of 2010 and building on all that learning, which has come between now and then, um, what the triple C allows um, is still for those areas to be recognized, still to be completed by the unit of training supervisor that will probably complete that cut form as it is in the 2010. But for that then to be captured within the overall halo for general anesthesia. So those allows that evidence to be recognized, but also to support the overall sign off of the of the assessment faculty lead for the GA domain. So that individual um, can then illustrate how that evidence has all come together. And whilst I've said individual, it's highly likely, particularly in, in larger centers, that might be more than one person as well. Um, and Ollie, I totally agree with your point is that what our thinking was with developing these guys is yes, they're useful for schools and trainers, but they're also useful for departments to think about how their existing uh, trainer group, their existing module supervisors, um, what that means in sort of then developing their local assessment faculty and their local faculty groups, which again is, is an aspiration that's been there before, um, but how we can sort of use the structures of the new curriculum to make that a, a little bit easier. And overall, and so we, we, although there's a there's a basic framework and, and there are certain aspects of the of the evidence requirements that are going to be set in stone, there is also quite a bit of flexibility within this assessment strategy, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it's worth pointing out within the halos that um, you know I think trainees and trainers should get familiar with the capabilities that are in the halos because there's a lot of cross linking between different domains. There are things that are, are, you know, if you're doing a certain case, a general anaesthetic case that involves, um, I don't know, perhaps major hemorrhage, that might be evidenced in POM as well as in general anaesthesia. So it's worth knowing where the capabilities are. And we've put um, a lot about cross-linking in, in the HALO guides to help people with this because there's a lot, lot that are linked together and one SLE can easily evidence things in across different domains. So just to finish then, if, if, I, if I'm a trainee or even a trainer and I'm just starting now thinking about how my assessment work is going to change, where should I go and hunt out evidence? Obviously this podcast, but apart from this podcast, <laughs> Where else could we get information about the assessment strategy? Well, there's there's a lot on the website. Um, the assessment guidance, which um, has uh, information about all the assessments, and then then attached to that are the HALO guides, and you'll find the HALO guides very useful. Um, we've written for the um, the new assessments, which we haven't even talked about, the entrustable professional activities uh, for the IAC and IACOA, we've written workbooks to accompany those, uh, and those are available on the website. There are pod, uh, there are uh, webinars that we've done and um, presentations that we've done that are there for people want to look at those. Yeah, and I, I think people can search by. Um, they can search by the event or they can search by the content. So if they particularly want to learn about HALO or assessment faculty mm -hmm. or EPA and IAC, 
they can do that within the resources section of the uh, the new curriculum pages and it should be there. Um, one other thing I would sort of just add to that is that when we were designing not only the materials but also you know the the assessment guidance and the halo guides is we very much wanted them to be practically minded so the assessment guidance itself is is quite succinct it's about seven pages to make it easy to read um, but also then allows you to navigate other areas of the curriculum if you want to learn more um, and the only other thing I would add um, Molly if I may is that we've talked a lot about assessment faculty and about halos and it gives it a very sort of summative feel but actually there is a really important role that those individuals um, perform um, which as they do in the existing curriculum and that's the formative element as well where mm. there's that discussion with the individual who is doing that component of the training program around what experience have they already gained but what do they need to do in terms of perhaps accessing specialist lists particular procedures uh, maybe even courses that might be relevant that might help them to meet those learning outcomes and again that's something we know which has been one of the really positive steps from the changes to assessment in 2015 and, and the, the role of assessment faculty hopefully will, will, will build on as well so when departments are thinking about that that the one of the biggest benefits of signposting to those individuals and making them visible within departments for trainees is allowing those professional discussions around how am I doing um, as they move through the training program not uh, just uh, can, can I can I sign this off I guess. Mm -hmm. Guys I'm going to draw it to a close there because we've been we could probably carry on talking about ages and ages and we've already been well over our half an hour so thank you Thank you both very much for giving up time on a sunny afternoon to talk about the assessment strategy. I think we've covered a lot of really interesting areas and I'm sure that um, anyone listening is going to find uh, find this very useful and hopefully will have learned things about the assessment strategy that they didn't know or realise before. So thanks Joe, thanks Gethin and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you found it helpful. Thank you for listening to this Royal College of Anaesthetists podcast. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcatcher. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our programme of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon.